Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States opinion in Donald J. Trump versus New York on appeal from the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can stay tuned to the end of the podcast to see how that's done. This is a per curiam opinion, and uh, it's only seven pages, so we're going to go ahead and read it. Every 10 years, the nation undertakes an enumeration of its population in such manner as Congress shall by law direct. That's U.S. Constitution Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3. This census plays a critical role in apportioning members of the House of Representatives among the states, allocating federal funds to the states, providing information for interstate redistricting, and supplying data for numerous initiatives conducted by governmental entities, businesses, and academic researchers. That's uh, Department of Commerce versus New York. Congress has given both the Secretary of Commerce and the President functions to perform in the enumeration and apportionment process. The Secretary must take a decennial census of population in such form and content as he may determine, 13 U.S.C. Section 141A, and then must report to the President the tabulation of total population by states under the census as required for the apportionment. That's Section 141B. The President, in turn, must transmit to Congress a statement showing the whole number of persons in each state, excluding Indians not taxed, as ascertained under the census. That's 46 Statute 26, 2 U.S.C. Section 2A. A. In that statement, the president must apply a mathematical formula called the method of equal proportions to the population counts in order to calculate the number of House seats for each state. See Department of Commerce versus Montana. This past July, the president issued a memorandum to the secretary respecting the apportionment following the 2020 census. The memorandum announced a policy of excluding from the apportionment base aliens who are not in a lawful immigration status. That's uh, 85 Federal Register, page 44680, uh, 2020. To facilitate implementation to the maximum extent feasible and consistent with the discretion delegated to the executive branch, the president ordered the secretary in preparing his Section 141B report to provide information permitting the president to the extent practicable to exercise the president's discretion to carry out the policy. The president directed the secretary to include such information in addition to a tabulation of population according to the criteria, criteria promulgated by the Census Bureau for counting each state's residents. That's uh, Federal Register 83 Federal Register, 55-25-2018. This case arises from one of several challenges to the memorandum brought by various states, local governments, organizations, and individuals. A three-judge district court held that the plaintiffs, appellees here, had standing to proceed in federal court because the memorandum was chilling aliens and their families from responding to the census thereby degrading the quality of census data used to allocate fun federal funds and forcing some plaintiffs to divert resources to combat the chilling effect. According to the district court, the memorandum violates Section 141B by ordering the secretary to produce two sets of numbers, a valid tabulation derived from the census and an invalid tabulation excluding aliens based on administrative records outside the census. 
the district court also ruled that the exclusion of aliens on the basis of legal status would contravene the requirements in Section 2A-A that the president state the whole number of persons in each state for purposes of apportionment. The district court declared the memorandum unlawful and enjoined the secretary from including the information needed to implement the memorandum in his Section 141B report to the president. The government appealed, and we postponed consideration of our jurisdiction. A foundational principle of Article 3 is that an actual controversy must exist, not only at the time of the complaint is filed, but through all stages of the litigation. That's uh, already LLC versus Nike Incorporated. As the plaintiffs concede, any chilling effect from the memorandum dissipated upon the conclusion of the census response period. The plaintiffs now seek to substitute an alternative theory of a legally cognizable injury, premised on the threatened impact of an unlawful apportionment on congressional representation and federal funding. As the case comes to us, however, we conclude that it does not, at this time, present a dispute appropriate res- appropriately resolved through the judicial process. That's uh, quoting Susan B. Anthony List versus Dryhouse. Two related doctrines of justiciability, each originating in the case or controversy requirement of Article 3, underline this determination. See Daimler Chrysler Corporation versus Cuno. First, a plaintiff must demonstrate standing, including an injury that is concrete, particularized, and imminent, rather than conjectural or hypothetical. That's uh, Carney versus Adams. <clears throat> Second, the case must be ripe, not dependent on contingent future events that may not occur as anticipated, or indeed may not occur at all. Texas versus United States. Um, 1998. At present, this case is riddled with contingencies and speculation that impede judicial review. The president, to be sure, has made clear his desire to exclude aliens without lawful status from the apportionment base, but the president qualified his directive by providing that the secretary should gather information to the extent practicable and that aliens should be excluded to the extent feasible. Um, 85 Federal Register 44680. Any prediction how the executive branch might eventually implement this general stand, sta- statement of policy is no more than conjecture at this time. Um, that's quoting Los Angeles versus Lyons. To begin with, the policy may not prove feasible to implement in any manner whatsoever, let alone in a manner substantially likely to harm any of the, any of the plaintiffs here. Pre-apportionment litigation always presents a moving target because the secretary may make and the president may direct changes to the census up until the president transmits his statement to the House, Franklin versus Massachusetts, and the government recognizes any such changes must comply with the constitutional requirement of an actual enumeration of, of the persons in each state as opposed to conjectural estimate, see Utah versus Evans. See also 13 U.S.C. section 195. Here, the record is silent on which and how many aliens have administrative records that would allow the secretary to avoid impermissible estimation and whether the Census Bureau can even match the records in its possession to census data in a timely manner. Uncertainly likewise, uncertainty likewise pervades which and how many aliens the president will exclude from the census 
if the secretary manages to gather and match suitable administrative records. We simply do not know whether and to what extent the president might direct the secretary to reform the census, to implement his general policy with respect to apportionment. While the plaintiffs agree that the dispute will take a more concrete shape once the secretary delivers his report under Section 141B, they insist that the record already establishes a substantial risk of reduced representation and federal resources. See Clapper versus Amnesty International. That conclusion, however, involves a significant degree of guesswork. Unlike other pre-apportionment challenges, the Secretary has not altered the census operations in a concrete manner that will predictably change the count. See Department of Commerce versus New York um, and Department of Commerce versus United States House of Representatives from 1999. The court here is complete. The count here is complete. The present dispute involves the apportionment process, which remains at a preliminary stage. The government's eventual action will reflect both legal and practical constraints, making any prediction about future injury just that, a prediction. Everyone agrees by now that the government cannot feasibly implement the memorandum by excluding the estimated 10.5 million aliens without lawful status. Yet, the only evidence speaking to the predicted change in an apportionment unrealistically assumes that the president will exclude the entire undocumented population. Nothing in the record addresses the consequences of a partial implementation of the memorandum, much less supports the dissent's speculation that excluding aliens and ICE detention will impact interstate apportionment. The impact on funding is no more certain. According to the government, federal funds are tied to data derived from the census, but not necessarily to the apportionment counts addressed by the memorandum. That's brief for appellants 19 and 20. Under that view, changes to the Secretary's Section 141B report or to the President's Section 2AA statement will not inexorably have the direct effect on downstream access to funds or other resources predicted by the dissent. How that question will be addressed by the Secretary and the President is yet another fundamental uncertainty, impeding proper judicial consideration at this time. The remedy crafted by the District Court underscores the contingent nature of the plaintiff's injuries. Its injunction prohibits the Secretary from informing the President in his Section 141B report of the number of aliens without lawful status. In addition to implicating the President's authority under the Opinions Clause, that's U.S. Constitution Article 2, Section 2, Clause 1. The injunction reveals that the source of any injury to the plaintiffs is the action that the secretary or president might take in the future to exclude unspecified individuals from apportionment base, not the policy itself in the abstract. Um, Summers versus Earth Island Institute. Letting the executive branch decision-making process run its course not only brings more manageable proportions to the scope of the party's disputes, Lujan versus National Wildlife Federation, but also ensures that we act as judges and do not engage in policymaking properly left to elective, elected representatives. It's Hollingsworth versus Perry. And in the meantime, the plaintiffs suffer no concrete harm from the challenged policy itself, which does not require them to do anything or refrain from doing anything. That's uh, Ohio Forestry Association Incorporated versus Sierra Club. At the end of the day, 
the standing and ripeness inquiries both lead to the conclusion that judicial resolution of this dispute is premature, consistent with our determination that standing has not been shown and that the case is not ripe, we express no review on the merits of the constitutional and related statutory claims presented. We hold only that they are not suitable for adjudication at this time. The judgment of the district court is vacated, and the case is remanded with instructions to dismiss for lack of jurisdiction. It is so ordered. And uh, once again, that was a per curiam opinion, and it looks like uh, though Justice Breyer, Justice Sotomayor, and Justice Kagan dissented, um, so you can do the math on that yourself. To support the podcast or to support me as I slog through law school, please find the podcast on Patreon or follow the PayPal link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. I can be reached at RhodesScholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S and the number 80.